0: I never prayed and asked God to take me out of it.
1: Freshman year is when I got involved with cocaine.
2: Finances are hitting us. My marriage was on the line. It
3: deepens that, that
4: ache for true connection. Your faith and your profession, they don't have to be mutually exclusive.
5: What's going on, Staying the Course podcast listeners? I'm your host, Jimmy Johnson, and you're listening to season one finale of the show. In just a moment, we're going to take some time to reflect on a few of my favorite interviews of 2019 as it comes to a close. And look ahead to 2020. That's right, the show isn't going anywhere. We're just taking a brief recess to plan ahead, bring you better content and interviews, because we all know. If we don't plan, we plan to fail. I'll share more about plans for next season later in the show. But first, let's take a trip down memory lane to one of my very first interviews. It was with Corey Sturkey, a single father and barber in South Florida, who encouraged me to start this very podcast.
0: You can look at fire in two ways. It can either be used to fuel you and, and drive you, or you can let it consume you. If you ever meet Corey Sturkey, first you would notice his tall stature,
5: Billboard of tattoos, unique sense of fashion choice, and his charismatic personality. But once you really get to know him, you get to know his story, and it's one of deep pain and redemption.
0: The suicidal stage was um, it just was accumulation of me growing up as a child, like my family, like Trinidadian and black, and I, I, you know, I told you about the the turmoil between my mother being pregnant by a black man. Um, I felt like I was too dark to be on the Trinidadian side and I was like I almost felt like I was too light-skinned to fit in with my black side so I never felt like I fit in at any point in time in my life so growing up I always had like that that emptiness you know so when that depression was kicking in it was like I feel like I, always, I already felt like I didn't have any value because I didn't feel that acceptance and love from equally from both sides of the family but now I don't I don't have that self-love for myself. You know, I didn't appreciate the, what my parents had did for me. And I felt like life was going in, in no direction. So barbering was the one thing that I had that I can honestly say saved my life. It gave me purpose. It was something I was able to to uh, manifest passion from and really dedicate myself to it when I was feeling like I was lost. But that conversation with my mother is what is what 100% was what saved my life because I dealt with the pressure. I was going to room and go to sleep and assume that when I wake up that those problems will be gone. But that conversation definitely with my mom and her telling me what she told God when she found out she was pregnant is 100% what save my life.
5: Thankfully, Corey overcame that season in his life, but his struggles didn't stop there. In order to open up his South Florida barbershop, he had to sacrifice everything he owned for his dream.
0: Like, the selling of the car, it hurt. But I understood this is a part of the process. Going through this process is when I got the name for the barbershop. Like, getting rides to work for my mother. Clients picking me up, dropping me home, taking Uber, walking in the rain to catch my Uber. Like, this is a sacrifice I made. And in my room, that twin size mattress above the, right behind me, on the wall, I had pictures of my son. Drawings that he did in his class. Paintings. And I kept it in there. So that way, when I walked in that room and that that spirit, like, you know, depression would try to hit me, I was instantly reminded of why I'm working this hard. I had to set something there to constantly bring me back down and remind you, like, all right, Corey. And I will constantly tell myself, bro, I'm walking in the rain, backpack on, from work, long day, and I'm telling myself, it's just for a season, Corey. This isn't permanent. This is just a season. It's just a season. Embrace it and go through it. And one thing I never did, I never prayed and asked God to take me out of it.
5: Corey now has an international following and travels the globe speaking and teaching to others in his craft.
0: When you're in a position to help, I feel like you should. Because at the end of the day, you giving and expecting something in return, whatever that person may be able to give you, whether it be monetary or not, if you die, you can't take it with you anyways. So the betterment of the people and us working together and giving back to each other ultimately just helps the spirits and makes life a lot easier for everyone. So I don't, I, I, I take Joy in giving. When I when I'm able to give to somebody, that's for me, that's the best feeling in the world for me. And you know some pe- people say that all the time, but I've been on the receiving end of it where my family didn't have money to eat and our church came through and filled up our, our refrigerator with groceries. You know, our car got repoled and somebody from the church said my father borrowed a car to get to work. So I've been on that other end where we didn't have, and someone gave to us without the expectation of getting anything in return. So I guess that seed was planted in me at a young age to be that way.
1: The
5: next interview we're going to relive is with Ariel Britt.
1: So you know why you're here. Reap what you need. Host of the Beauty
5: and the Grid podcast. Our conversation took place when I traveled to Denver, Colorado on a guy's trip. You may remember I slid into her DMs professionally. Ariel's an example that we can all fall short and miss the mark.
1: But I definitely was smoking weed, got caught by my mom and, you know, it was fine. Not fine, but like it was an, It was like, OK, she may have something's going on, but she'll figure it out.
5: Yeah. And Ariel spent a decade abusing alcohol and drugs. Her addiction first starting in high school in Really escalating once
1: she went off to college, that's when I really attracted what I was looking for, which is folks that were you know focusing more on partying than they were going to school and so that's when i freshman years when I got involved with cocaine, and that was pretty much you know I'm not a good drinker as soon as I put alcohol in my body i I can't even function, but with cocaine, it was like I could keep going, I could keep doing it, I could be a part of the party at that point. And then it wasn't a party anymore.
5: So, when was the point when you knew you hit rock bottom? Was yes. it physically? Was it mentally?
1: It was physically, mentally, spiritually. So, after I dropped out of college and was like, I'm done, I'm gonna go take some time off and find myself, aka party, I moved to New York. And at that time, my sister was living in Jersey City, so she's pretty close to me, but I was pretty isolated and alone. And so I became front and center with myself and the ways in which I was using substances. And I didn't have that same community or camaraderie that you have in college. Like, oh, it's fine. We're just in college having a good time. And so there was just this moment um, that I describe in that episode um, where I just was so aware of how much my body was hurting, how much weight I had lost, how disconnected I was, and how miserable I was. Like, if this was supposed to be a party, shouldn't it feel fun? Shouldn't I feel free? Shouldn't I feel a part of? And I didn't. And that, for me, was that spiritual bankrupt um, feeling that many folks who struggle with anything hopefully will eventually feel, because that was the point that I wanted to do something or I had the desire to change.
5: She has since been sober for eight years. So happy for her now. And sharing her truth to help youth in her community avoid those pitfalls that she believes ruined her early 20s.
1: But me now being a person that works in recovery and, and changing the dynamic and the stigma around that, like like you said, it affects so many people. It doesn't care how much money you make, what you look like, what your background is. It doesn't care. It affects everyone. And so to know that my experience can really help other people just kind of pushes me. And so it feels like I'm in my highest purpose when I am speaking my truth. Um, and it also keeps me really close to that and close to the understanding of what can happen if I were to pick up a substance again. I have no desire to, I don't want to, but it really allows you to remember you know, what was going on at, in that time in your life, like why we're using substances and why we're using substances even when you didn't want to. And a lot of people can relate to that, whether it's why am I dating this person when I don't even want to? Why am I working at this job when I know this is not where I'm supposed to be. And so I think it's something that even though I can just share my experience, folks can take what they can pull out of that to help them live their best life.
5: Singer, songwriter, and producer Pierre Aristol, and I go back a few years. He and his wife have spoken into my life on so many levels. In fact, he's partially the reason why I married the love of my life, Pascal. Pierre has this undeniable passion for music and we're all blessed to experience his gifting. That's the instrumental to Pierre's first single. No, you won't. You guys first heard it right here on the of Course podcast, and he pinned it from pain he experienced just last year when he began to question God.
2: I was like, God, where are you? Where are you? Everything is hitting us. You know, finances are hitting us. My marriage was on the line. Like, you know, my wife and I was arguing, fighting every single day. I was depressed as a father. Like I went through so many different things. And, bro. I heard. In my heart, I heard God say, "I never left you." And man, I I just balled up like a little kid, and just like, wow! And that image of God saying, "I never left you. I was there by your side. I was there by your side, holding on to you, and I'll never let go." Wow! And these words started to flow. I started thinking, like, wow, no, you, like, you won't let go. Yeah, you won't let go. Like. W- when I had none, I had you. Looking back through everything that I went through, you were the one that actually pulled me through. No, you won't let go. And that's how this song came.
5: Pierre says this season of transition helped him redefine his purpose. This past fall, um,
2: that transition right was a big change in my life. It was a big change. We had to take my son out of school because obviously all of our finances was just shaken up. So I took our son out of private school And that was a huge change, bro. Huge huge change. I went we went from having him in school 40 hours a week to him being with daddy forever, like uh, 100 percent of the time. And I went through some depression. I battled a lot of different things and I was getting upset because, man, I have to have my son with me. And one day, bro, it hit me. I don't have to have my son with me. I get to have my son with me. Yeah, yeah. I get to have, I get to have my son. And bro, that changed the way I thought as a person, as a father. And in the last few months, I've come to a a season in my life where I finally realized my purpose here on this earth, things that I'm called to do. And one of them is to father the next generation, which is my son. I have someone that has the potential to be a world changer. And here I am thinking, man, I have to have my son with me. And I realized, man, I have to bring him to rehearsal. You know, I, I have to bring him to sound check. I have to bring him to work. No, I get to bring him to rehearsal with me so he can see how daddy works. I get to be in long, you know, hour long car rides, right? Because LA with the traffic, we're always in a car. I get to be with him in the car and teach him and pour into him. And that changed so many different things. That changed my mindset.
5: Entrepreneur Sean Scott is a pull up your bootstraps kind of guy. I frequent his establishment for a year before I ever knew he was the owner. The co-founder of Subculture Coffee always dreamed of opening up his own coffee shop, but Early in his journey, discovered his work was bigger than serving up espressos and cold brew.
3: What, what was profound for me and what, what made it known that this was more than just a um a business was in D.C., we were in a corporate environment. And so there was no walk by traffic. It was venture capital firms, uh, corporate attorneys, IBM, Homeland Security Project above us, all high level, really intelligent people. And my wife was dreading that because she's like, these people are going to treat us like garbage, like this, the coffee servants. But very quickly, that habitual interaction with people, when you're intentional and when I, I didn't know who they were, like they weren't it wasn't there was no sense of, oh, this guy's really important. I'm down here it was his you know, it was Dan. It was the guy that buys cappuccino. And I intentionally did that. I didn't ask him what they did. I asked him about who they were. And very quickly, I saw that these that these people, men, women, intelligent, wealthy, when you took that five minutes, it opened up in them this obvious gaping need for someone to see them as Dan, not as the CEO, not as a powerful venture venture capital guy. And so in those first couple of months is that's when I kind of was like, this is a soul space because it wasn't just about comfort. It wasn't just about good coffee. But people really need to be known. Um, and I kind of was intentional about continuing their story every day. So I try to remember what they told me and not instead of just being like, hey how you doing? I would build on what they told me. And again, when they, when they see you remember their story, it's profound. And these people would share things that, that, that were astonishing in a very short time. And so that's where I knew, okay, this is, this is soul, soul worthy, uh, you know, of that title. Um, this is deep. And, uh, and so over the years, I, I've just continued to hear stories. And people, they'll tell me, oh, subculture isn't special because it's coffee. It's because who I met, how I feel.
5: It was helping others cultivate authentic relationships with people
3: it deepens that that ache for true connection, and so that's why my hope is for people and when I see it when I see them talking and when they put down their phones or their laptops or or I hear about a story yeah that's that's special and that's uh that brings a whole lot of meaning to 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 what i do
5: and over the last decade, Sean has done just that creating soul spaces, coffee shops for people to gather and express themselves. In return, Sean's living out a prophecy from a longtime friend of his father who once told him he'd one day touch thousands of lives.
3: Literally every step in life, every decision, uh, I was like, is this what he was talking about? And I always thought it was going to be a grandiose thing, right? Like I, when I was playing in a band, like, oh, this is it. I'm writing songs for thousands of people. And so like, I was a lyricist, so I was very intentional about the, the lyrics I wrote. And, okay, this is what Dean's talking about. And then I was a teacher, and I was like, oh, it's kids, you know, reaching kids. And um, and then coffee, you know, it's, it was so funny. One day I was sitting there very early on the stage, and I was just like, man, this, this is what he's talking about. One person at a time, humble. Over the years, it's been literally hundreds of thousands of people that have walked through the doors that I've had the opportunity to, um, to meet. And I think it was as simple as that, so— you know, your, your your ego is looking for like that big thing. But I think Dean was talking about staying true to the every day and every person.
5: Before John McCann was a teaching pastor at Vintage Church in New Orleans.
4: Jesus' love and power has no limit and it has the ability to reach you and I no matter where we are.
5: I knew him as Arrows. Yeah, that's the name of his first clothing company he created in college.
4: I had a class. Uh, project in my school of business class of uh, to create a business plan so make a long story short i did one for a t-shirt company my teacher was like john this is great you and your friends should do this so as a freshman out my dorm room i started a t-shirt company called arrows um and to my surprise it took off man i think we kind of met in the midst of it taking off um, so yeah i did really well man second year in business we did fifty thousand dollars of revenue uh, it was like fashion with purpose. The arrows stood for everyone rises over struggles. It was the acronym for arrows. Um but yeah, man, so I had a lot of fun with that. I think one of the coolest things I did with that was rent out the New Orleans Superdome um for a fashion show and party at the age of twenty one.
5: And I think I was at that party. <laughs> yeah,
4: man, that was uh I remember it. it was it was a crazy it was a lot of fun.
5: But now he's tapping into something that he's never seen successfully done before.
4: I thought that I could only do one. You know, I thought that either I'm going to be an entrepreneur or this business owner or this leader, you know, in this business sector, um, or I'm going to be like a full-time minister or a full-time pastor. And, and the reason why I thought that is because just that's all I saw. You know, most people, they're either successful in the business world or they're a successful pastor. And I didn't really see a lot of people doing both of them well. So I went on a long journey, man, and God just really confirmed to me something that I think he's doing for a lot of people in 2019 is that your faith and your profession, they don't have to be uh, mutually exclusive. You know, they can coexist.
5: John founded Nave Official, a socially responsible clothing brand, in 2017. The aesthetic is street with a designer label feel. His goal to spread inspiration through fashion.
4: We're inspiring people to go after their dreams, um, not to allow different uh, obstacles to stop them. Um, and, and we're inspiring them to just to believe. You know, we spoke about belief earlier and, and faith and how those forces are so powerful. And I just believe that um, people love clothes. They love fashion. And Nave is just... You know, the goal and our mission is to be able to provide that, but also to provide a vehicle to not only be inspired, but to inspire someone else in the process.
5: That's all we have for season one of the Staying the Course podcast. The show will resume with all new episodes starting in January 2020. Next season, we're taking things to new heights. We're incorporating more storytelling, finding ways for us to engage more with you and hosting more contests and giveaways. In fact, do us a favor right now. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook by searching Staying the Course Podcast and STC Pod on Twitter. I'm Jimmy Johnson, and you've been listening to the Staying the Course Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple, Google, and Spotify and subscribe, rate, and review the show today. And remember, you're called to stay the course.